Hey, Pioneers, welcome to episode number 381. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about homesteading with special needs kids. We have done some episodes in the past where we have talked about homesteading when you have young children, and that has been a really great episode, but there are quite a few of our members inside the Pioneering Today Academy, as well as a lot of listeners who have reached out to me and said, do you have any episodes on homesteading with special needs kids? And while you, I do not have a child with special needs, and you might be listening and you don't either. However, we do have family members who do have special needs kids. And it's something that probably all of us know somebody, even if it's not directly in our immediate family, in our household, who does have special needs. So I think this is a really helpful episode to listen to, to get a better understanding, as well as to help come along and support those Um, both the children and the families when they are dealing with that and how homesteading can work in tandem with that. So I'm actually very excited to share this with you today because I do feel like it is going to help a lot of people. Now, many of you probably already know Rachel. If you are a member of the Academy or you have been on any of the free live trainings that I do usually once a month, you have probably ran into Rachel. She helps to moderate those as well as helps me with the email inbox. So there is a good chance if you've had any form of communication with me, you probably have seen Rachel's name come up or had the had her help you. So I'm very pleased to be able to have her on so that we can talk about this. Now, speaking of ways that we can help one another and be supportive, that brings me to our sponsor for today's podcast episode, and that is American Blossom Linens. American Blossom Linens is an American-made company that sells organically grown cotton towel sheets, blankets, pillows, and more. These are heirloom quality, and not only are they made in the United States, but they also are made in the United States from cotton that is grown in the United States. And I don't know about you, but it is often times very hard to one, find products that are American made, but two, to find 100% cotton sheets. It seems so much of the fabric that we come across these days is a blend. And oftentimes it'll say cotton, but it's not 100% cotton. So it's got polyester thrown in there and other things like that. And a lot of the fabrics can also be treated with things like flame retardant, just a lot to make them softer. They can use different chemicals that I am not comfortable having against my skin on our beds and definitely not sleeping on. So I'm super excited to have American Blossom Linens sponsor the podcast, and you can use the coupon code PioneeringToday20, that's PioneeringToday20, to get 20% off of your order. Well, Rachel, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Well, hi, it's nice to be here. This is an episode that I think is really needed and one that's probably not talked about as much as it should be. So I'm really grateful for you coming on because I know sometimes 
talking about these subjects can make people, I don't know if uncomfortable is the right word, but I have to say for me, because I don't have a child with special needs, sometimes I'm unsure of if it should be talked about, especially because I don't have a child with special needs. So sometimes coming into a conversation with someone, it's not that you don't want to acknowledge it, but you're really not sure, at least for myself, personally speaking, like if it should be brought up or how I can help, how can I be supportive, like what I should know about. So I think it's really good that we're having this conversation, even if it's just to educate myself, but I'm sure that there's other listeners who have been in on either side of this and it will be a welcome topic. Yes. I think it's for a parent, especially with a newly diagnosed child, it can be really tough to navigate. You don't know where to start. You don't know what to say to your family. You don't know what to say to your friends. You don't know how to explain it. And I think it is really important to talk about. Fortunately, we're at a time in our culture where people are much more open about these things and talk about them and share. And it's a much more accepting world now than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I think that is a good thing. I think there is a lot of more conversations on the table now. Um, even I'm going to sound so old because here I am almost 42. And I look back to when I was a kid and the things that were talked about, at least in our family or in my realm, compared to what is talked about now. And there's a lot more things that are discussed and open that aren't just kind of, you know, shoved under the rug. So well, yeah, yes. And, you know, I'm older than you. I'm 48. <laughs> and it, in school, it was always, oh, the kid that's different where now people really understand, you know, everybody's different. It's just, they work differently. They're wired differently. You know, they're not neurotypical, they're neurodiverse. Yeah. Oh, I, I like that terminology. So with kids with special needs, do you want to just share a little bit about, you know, your story with your son um, so that, you know, people kind of have that background. And then I really want to dive into how homesteading helps those kids and also tips for for parents or grandparents or family members or people who have friends with special needs kids, uh, tips for them to use when on their homestead with people who have different needs, like to help them uh, through everything. Sure, absolutely. So my son is now 12. Um, and when he was born, everything was normal, you know, thought I was gonna have this great, perfect birth. And of course, ended up with a C-section after 36 hours of labor. And he was great and healthy and happy and everything. And right around just before he turned two, he wasn't hitting, you know, the benchmarks as they refer to. Um, and I'm somewhat familiar because I have a younger brother who's now a computer engineer and wicked smart guy, but he had some learning disabilities when he was a kid. So I was kind of familiar with what to look for. And we noticed that with our son. And so we had him evaluated and they said, oh, he has sensory challenges. Um, and possibly autism. And so we started doing some occupational and speech therapy when he was two. And he was in a developmental preschool, which was wonderful through our school district. And then we tried kindergarten in the public school. And for him with his sensory differences, because everything was just heightened so much compared to anybody that's neurotypical, it was just too much. He, he was a late talker. He really didn't talk until he was almost six. And now he doesn't shut up, which is wonderful. I prayed for years that he would talk. And now there's days I'm like, oh, take a breath, child. <laughs> but when he started kindergarten, about four months in, he pretty much stopped talking because it was just way, way too much for him. And that's when we decided 
that that didn't work. And so we decided to homeschool and we've done that ever since. Um, and he for he did go to speech and occupational therapy until he was nine. Actually, when the pandemic hit, that kind of stopped everything. Um, and he's we haven't gone back because he's doing really well now. But there's, that's always a possibility in the future. And that's something for families to think about, too, that, you know, like with any kid, their needs change. Yeah. So for somebody who is dealing with a new diagnosis or maybe even somebody who thinks that maybe that their child does have some special needs, what has been what are like some good resources or some good steps to take? I, the best thing I would say to start with is find out locally in your area, just look up birth to three program. Pretty much everywhere across the United States, they have a birth to three program and they will do an assessment. You can also look for parent to parent. That's a great local organization that's nationwide as well. And they work with families with kids and they can help you get a diagnosis. Those are two great places to start. Our son, he has sensory processing disorder and he's on the autism spectrum. And recently, as of last June, he started having seizures. And so that's controlled with medication. So that's been a whole another thing. Honestly, the sensory differences and the autism were a cakewalk to deal with. Um, the epilepsy, that's been, that's been a, a real monkey wrench, just trying to manage expectations of when it's going to happen. Fortunately, with the the medication he's on, it's controlled it. Uh, he's only had one since he's been on medication, but that definitely makes it tough. Yeah. And from the emotional standpoint, you know, as, as the parent, not only physically having to deal with stuff and, and learning stuff and, and finding aid and stuff, but do you have any tips for, especially the newly diagnosed, um, because I'm assuming that you went through emotions. I mean, I know I would. So do you have any tips for yes, it, dealing it's, with that? It's, it's very emotional and look for local support groups. Um, we here in our county, I'm in Thurston County, Washington. Um, we have parent to parent. That's the organization I talked about earlier. They have support groups, many different ones for families who have kids on the spectrum, for families who have kids that have other challenges and they're really helpful. Uh, so looking for support groups locally and either parent to parent through a local hospital, through your school district, and then also get on social. On Facebook, even if you don't like Facebook, there are a lot of local support groups for families with special needs. Just do a search for your county and your state special needs and, and see what comes up. That there's quite a few out there, surprisingly. And, you know, even if you can't meet in person, at least to have someone there virtually is great. Um, I actually am a helping parent for our local parent to parent. So when they receive an intake from someone that has a newly diagnosed child with autism or sensory processing disorder, they will connect us and I kind of mentor them in what to do to work through the newness of it all. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you tell them to do as they work through the newness with the, it? The biggest thing is just get rid of all your expectations mm -hmm. 
and you know, we all, when we're, we're pregnant and before we have kids, we have all these dreams and ideas and what our children are going to be like and from what they're going to look like to how they're going to be and all these things. And honestly, take all of that and throw it out the window because all you will do is frustrate yourself and frustrate your child. They are exactly who they are and they are not that person you had in your head. Just let it all go. And honestly, with all the benchmarks and everything that OSPI, which is, you know, through your local, your state, or what is that? Public instruction, Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction. They put out the benchmarks for the states about where your, what your kids should be doing at this age and this grade. And you know what? Honestly, throw it out the window. It's kind of like when you raise animals, they're going to do everything in their own time and you can't, you can't rush it. And that's the same with your kid is just let them be who they are and, and don't expect them to meet a timeline. Yeah. You know, it's funny because funny is probably not the right word, but we're, we're talking specifically about kids with special needs, but honestly, that has been something I'm still learning, you know, as my son is 17. Now he's a senior in high school. My daughter's in eighth grade. And I feel like that's a constant thing that even that is like, I have to remove my expectations of what I think that they should, I mean, within a degree, like, yes, there's certain things that they are going to do regardless if they want to or not as a parent, but overall, like with their, their personality and where, you know, where they're at and the life choices that they're making and, and all of that is letting go of some of those expectations because they're my expectations. They're not what they've ever expressed interest in, or they've ever shown within their personality in certain, you know, certain things. And, um, I have to say that's been one of probably one of the most challenging things with parenthood this far is the expectation part. So I'm glad that you, that you brought it, that it up. Is, it is very difficult and, you know, just really kind of allowing them to, to develop into who they are going to be. Never in my life did I know I would know so much about trains and planes, but that is my child's passion. I was a kid that grew up, as you know, Melissa, a, a farm kid, 4-H kid, and I loved all of that. And he loves his animals, but he has no zero interest in 4-H. And I had dreams of being, you know, 4-H mom and 4-H leader. And No, if we do 4-H, it's either going to be rockets or trains, mom. It's not going to be goats. It's not going to be horses, not even chickens. It, and just letting them follow their path. And also really being on board with with your spouse your partner your family members and reminding them to not put expectations on everything and oh why are they different than what this book says you know a book's a book it, it doesn't tell you exactly how everyone is going to be at the same time and the other big thing i found with any kiddo i think with anybody is the more time you spend out in nature the better I know for our son, it he would come home from school and just want to be outside and around the animals when he was in school because it was very calming. I even think about when I was a kid and I grew up and I came home after a half an hour bus ride because we lived in the dingweeds. And if I had a bad day, the first place I went was a barn. Oh, yeah. I remember. Well, actually, this wasn't even just as a kid. It was up. I haven't had horses in 12 years, but I probably cried more into the mane of my horse. <laughs> I tell you what, yeah, um, than than anything. I, and like, yeah, as a as a child, as a young adult, even as a young mom, it was actually Maddie. My daughter was uh, six months old um, when I had to put my my very last mare 
down. Um, gosh, yeah. Animals are extremely therapeutic. And that's one thing I'd say for anybody that does have a special need, any, not even just special needs kids, kids, it, it's animals are incredibly therapeutic. You know, my grandfather always told me he, he had cows and chickens and ducks. And he always told me animals are your best friends. They always listen and they rarely talk back. <laughs> and he was right. And, you know, they're always there for you. One thing I would say for any parents, if you, with your kids, if you feel like something is different, if you're concerned, you know, get an evaluation, but also allow that child the time they need. Don't try, don't try and rush it. Don't try and make them something they're not. Let them, let them be who they are. And they may not be interested in homesteading. I mean, it is my passion. I grew up doing all of this. And honestly, my child, he loves his animals, but he has no interest in, interest. He doesn't want to help mom can. He's kind of interested in the freeze dryer and how it works, but he won't eat the food with the sensory differences because he he only likes a very few certain things, but it's my passion, not his. And, you know, he comes out, he likes to be outside with me and once in a while he'll plant things and he doesn't really like to eat the food from the garden, but he likes to, you know, play with the flowers and do different things and just let them do what works for them. And just like with, with any child, when you're homesteading, as you know, Melissa, when they're little, you just take them with you to do your chores. There's, and it's no different with a special needs kiddo. It's, it's just, this is our farm. This is our family. You're part of it. Come on, we're going to do this. Okay. I love that. And yes, that has been something that's, um, always been really interesting to me because Rachel and I have very similar backgrounds. We were both raised on farms, um, raised by parents who had a lot of similarities in a lot of ways. And people have asked me, I don't know if you've ever come across this too, Rachel is, well, how do you deal with your kids at butcher time? And I'm like, well, there was never like, there was never like a sit, like they just always knew, like we were always very open about it. Like, this is where our meat came from. You know, like when you're, you're teaching, you know, like what foods are like hamburger, well, hamburger comes from a cow. That's our cow in the field. Like the, I don't like it. There was never this great revealing moment or there was never like traumatization around it. In fact, when Maddie was little, I want to say she was like three and we were butchering the chickens. And so at three, I wasn't really sure because chickens are a lot. I don't want to say traumatic when you're butchering them, but they, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot more drama with butchering a chicken, honestly, than there has been with, we've only butchered pigs and cows and chickens. So between those three, the chickens are a little bit more dramatic and loud it, with and the flapping, whole process yes. and flap it. Yeah. All the things. So at three, I wasn't sure that I wanted her to be out there when we were actually cutting off the head. Um, Cause that's how we do it. We don't just slip the neck. We completely remove the head and all of that. And so as soon as we had done that part and we were getting to the plucking part, cause she wanted to be out there so bad. She, same thing. She's always been with us for everything. So we let her come out for the plucking part. And so she got to help with the scalding and the dunk. I mean, of course, within reason she's three in the scalding tank is actually much, it's not even boiling. How, anyways, moral of this story is she got mad after we let her come out with the first batch that she didn't get to stay out for the rest of it. Cause she wanted to be there for the whole process. So I'm like, you know, are you sure? And so she 
has always been fine. But what's also interesting is she's probably the most compassionate, which almost sounds like an oxymoron, but like we'll have meat birds and there's always at least one meat bird in the flock that gets to be about two to three weeks old and something happens and you just know this thing's not going to make it till butcher time. And she knows we're raising them to butcher because she helps. She actually helps teach at the workshops that we do. She leads people through how to do it now. But she will go out and take one of those meat birds. She knows it's not going to make it, but she'll put it in its own little box and she changes its bedding every day and she brings it its own food and water. And then when it does die, because it does, we go out and bury it together. But it, so I'm, I'm with you on always have the kids be a part of it rather than you just do it. Like, even if they don't want to do it, like in this instance, Maddie did want to be out helping with all of that. But I think it's really important, like you said, that the kids just are a part of it and you let them do the things that they do want, like encourage them with that. And on that note though, so, cause I know when you, you came and visited here on the homestead multiple times and Eli came with you and you were really good about telling me ahead of time, uh, what to expect. Like if he, you know, needed to wear headphones to help cut down on auditory noise and that type of thing. So I think you've kind of have a system now knowing with what Eli needs when you go to places. So can you kind of talk about how you've how, like, you know, like how you get comfortable telling people, Hey, this is what my child needs when he's at your place. Um, and how you've kind of worked through that process. Sure. Absolutely. And I agree the whole butchering thing. I mean, I was raised to, it just, it was just part of life. And I remember, I don't know, I was about four and my grandparents were on the farm next to us. And my, my Oma, my grandma would always shut the curtains in the kitchen. Cause she didn't want to see us, us kids to see them shoot the cow. And I remember I looked at her, I said, Oma, why do you shut the curtains? And she said, Oh, just come over here. Let's play. I said, I want to see him shoot the cow. And then she would get, oh, okay. You know, she was worried it was going to traumatize us, bless her heart. But, you know, and it was the same. You just, it's part of life. And I have to say, like with Eli, we've had a few really brutal raccoon attacks with our ducks and it's been really rough and you know how bloody and gory and awful that is. And it's he and I that find them the next morning, even because the raccoons have gotten into their pen, no matter what we've done. Um, and he helps clean it up. And, it, you know, he just says, come on, mom, let's dig a hole. He just, it's, it just is what it is. And he's sad and, you know, but we use it since we homeschool. It, it's a teaching experience. He wants to see what the insides of the duck looks like. Why did the raccoon eat that part? Well, you know, and we explain why. And it's brutal. And, you know, I'm trying not to dry heap because I'm so upset that my ducks have been killed by this raccoon. But he wants to know and he asks all kinds of questions. And so you just use it all as a teaching experience. Yeah. And, and I, have like to, I have to say on the flip side, if I did have a child that was really bothered by, by the butchering part, I've not experienced that myself. But if I did, you know, we would have a conversation and I would not force them to watch and be a part if they, they truly were having an, you know, a really hard emotional response. Absolutely. Give them the choice. Give them the option. Yeah. You can, you can be here for it or not. Or if there's just this portion you want to help with, great. Yeah. And, and doing it that way. And I, with, so with Eli, he, when he was little, we, he loves airplanes. And so we just call them pilot ears. They're just the Peltor yellow um, sound suppressors. And because he loves the Blue Angels, they wear yellow headsets. So he thought it was really cool. He wore them everywhere for years and years. I mean, to school, to train shows, everywhere we'd go. So he could manage the the noise coming in. And he still carries them. We carry them in every one of our vehicles. My folks have them in their cars. 
and he always has access to them and he very seldom uses them anymore. But allowing your child to manage it themselves is really, really big. When they're little and they don't know how you help them. And like when he was small, we were very aware of situations we'd go into that wouldn't bother us. We we had to really think about how is that going to affect him? And we'd try it. And if it was too much, like he loves air shows, but if there's a jet car there, there's a cer certain frequency from that jet car that really bothers him. And he would get upset and cry. So we'd say, okay, well, let's not be here at the show. We'll go farther away and you can watch it from a farther distance because that works for him. And he still doesn't want to go into the shows. He doesn't want to go on the tarmac. He wants to watch it from outside. And so just giving them that leeway to decide what works best for them. And when it comes to telling people, I fortunately I had him, I turned 36 two weeks after I had him. So I was at an age of, I don't care what you think. This is my life. This is my kid. But if you're at a point in life where you're uncomfortable saying things to people, you have to get comfortable for your kid's sake. Um, and just saying, you know, sounds bother him or, you know, this doesn't work or that doesn't work. And, and really the biggest thing I found is people that care about you, they are going to understand and they're going to listen and get 99% of folks are very compassionate and wonderful. Um, and like when we've been at your house, you know, he, he never once has put on his sound suppressors. And of course, wants to tour every room in your house. That is one of the things we still, <laughs> we still laugh about. Um, you know, I tell him when we go, and that's one thing with kids on the spectrum is they don't really have the greatest boundaries and filters. They just think everything is open to them. No, you can't walk into everybody's bedroom, child. <laughs> you can't, <laughs> this is not where you live. Um, but he's still, you know, he talks about all the time, you know, he wants to know how all your animals are and anytime I'm up there and he's not, you know, he wants, he wants updates. He needs to know. Um, but just really letting folks know, you know, and sharing with them this, this is what works. This, this is what doesn't work. Okay. Well, I am so glad that uh, we got to have this conversation. Yes. And Eli was a kick in the pants. Um, I, and oh my gosh, the love that that boy has for my dog, Bobo, he loves oh, he his loves, Bobo. He loves Bobo. It was just, oh yeah. It was so, so cute. I love, I love how much he loves Bo. I always jokingly tell Clay, I'm like, you know, if anything ever happens where we couldn't keep Bo anymore, I'm pretty sure Eli would take him on. Oh, he would. Anytime if he hears your voice and that I'm watching one of your videos is Bobo on the video, mom. He, he doesn't want to watch Melissa. He needs to watch Bobo. He needs to watch Bo. Oh gosh, that's funny. Actually looking out the window at said dog right now. Um, well, I'm I'm really glad that you came on and that we had this conversation because one of the things, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on is when we've we've had other uh, members inside the Pioneering Today Academy and and different, you know, folks within our homesteading community that have had recent diagnosis with kids with special needs. And I know you've been able to step in and really offer some guidance and help. And two, as we have been planning the Modern Homesteading Conference, which obviously is a large in-person event, you know, me not having a child or anybody in my life with special needs, I didn't even consider this until you brought it up. And you said, well, we really need to have somewhere that people can go if they need to have a quiet break you know, or, you know, sensory overload where they can kind of go and decompress for a little bit. And 
I, I love that you brought that up, but it also made me realize how fortunate I am on one hand that I don't have to think about that, but how that we should think about that and how that should be something when you're doing something large scale, like that should be something that's available to folks. And I just think that a lot of times people just don't know what they don't know. So I'm really glad that you came on so that we could raise awareness for other people when, you know, on, so that everybody can just experience life how they need to. And that's becoming more and more commonplace having at, at events. And I even have to say, we went a few years ago to a Seahawks game and they actually have a sensory room for adults, kids to go into that's quiet. The lights are dimmed. Uh, they also offer free earplugs. There's a lot of places that will offer sound suppressors, events, um, which is really nice to see because it's not just kids that you know face these issues. There's a lot of undiagnosed adults that just always thought, you know, what's wrong with me? I'm not like everybody else. Yeah. Do you think, and this is a discussion that I don't think that we probably, that I find interesting, not that I have the answer on or anything like that, but do you think, because you did have, you said you had one, your brother um, had some learning disabilities. Do you think we've gotten better at diagnosing and creating greater awareness so that people see it? Or do you think that you see more and more people have, uh, you know, special needs and stuff happening more than we did say 40 years ago? I, I think it's both. I think we have much better ways to diagnose now and a lot more offerings. I look at back when my brother was little and he's four years younger than me. So I have to do the math. He's 44. Um, and my mom had to fight tooth and nail to get that kid what he needed. You know, my mom, she's ferocious. Um, but for me, there were a lot more opportunities for my son than my brother had it. As hard as my mom fought, there were things that just weren't there back then. So that's, it's kind of twofold. It's, there's a lot more opportunities for diagnosis and treatment. And also I think we are seeing much, much higher numbers when it comes to disabilities. And that's a whole nother rabbit hole I will not go down because I think so much of it comes from what we eat and put into our bodies. And we, you know, I was a farm kid. I grew up eating healthy and all those things. My husband, not so much. He grew up eating junk and, you know, processed foods. And I think honestly that affects our children. Mm -hmm. And that may be why we're seeing some of this a lot more in as generations move on, yeah. because for so many years, we have not been kind to our bodies and eating processed foods and been around all these, because there's chemicals everywhere and we're exposed to all that. So yeah. but that's a rabbit hole. I won't go down. I, I know I, I hesitated to bring it up, but I'm like, okay, we, we can talk about it without getting too far into it. Cause there's so many nuances within, within that whole thing. I, you know, anyhow, well, I will leave it there. But, but there are, there. there are, and there is for folks that are unsure what's happening with their child, just they notice that something doesn't seem quite right. You know, first go talk to your practitioner, whoever you see, naturopath, doctor, ask them. Unfortunately, a lot of times they'll say, oh yeah, no big deal. Follow your gut instinct as a parent. If your gut says something's going on, keep pushing, keep asking, you know, look, look locally um, at for school districts, parent to parent, um, just look for resources. And you really, you have to advocate for your child. Nobody else is going to do it. 
Yeah. That's been my experience just even with my own medical health and even with the kids. Um, yeah. Is, is pushing if you feel something is wrong. Yeah. And, and you have to do your own research and yeah. get out there and find it. And it is more work, but it's really worth it in the end. Yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. I think this is going to help a lot of folks, at least make them not feel alone. And I appreciate you sharing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. To grab any of the links or resources that we mentioned in today's episode, you can find those by going to melissaknorris.com forward slash 381, just the number 381, because this is episode number 381. And you will find the written blog post as well as different resources and links that we have referenced and talk about in today's episode. And if you would like to join the Academy, we are opening the doors on March 22nd. Make sure that you get on the wait list. You'll have first option as soon as we open the doors. And you can do that at melissaknorris.com forward slash PTA. Thank you so much for joining us today. And don't forget to use that coupon code pioneeringtoday20 at American Blossom Linens. 